We are a week away from the June quarterly seasonal bottleneck. Now, we all know about the March one. Obviously, there was March of 2023, SVB, Credit Suisse, global problems there. Uh, March 2008, Bear Stearns. March of 2020, COVID hit just at the worst possible time as far as the markets were concerned. Uh, the big one, September. September of 2019, repo then wasn't so much about bank reserves as it was the monetary system's quirk. September 2008, Lehman Brothers, AIG, Wachovia, all the rest of those. Even going back to LTCM, September 1998. September bottleneck is the big one. There's also some end of the year stuff in December, but June, the June bottleneck is relatively, relatively quiet in terms of creating problems like the other ones do. But last year, though, we could see major issues with the June 15th quarterly low point. We had a whole range of financial and monetary indications which suggested it was an unusually severe one. Uh, oil prices. Oil prices began to drop precipitously on June 13th. The, U the U.S. Treasury curve, the two-year tenure spread, that had inverted back in March, then an uninverted, and the spread was running around plus 25 to plus 35 basis points. But then suddenly on June 10th, it drops down to nine basis points. Then on June 13th, it's three. And by July 6th, it's negative, and it hasn't looked back either. T-bill rates, collateral. Uh, the four-week four week bill rate was low. There was a rate hike on June 16th, which was the first of the 75 basis point ones, which the bills mostly ignored those. But June 22nd, by June 22nd, this is a date that comes up a lot, the four-week T-bill rate was 57 basis points below the new RRP, suggesting huge demand for collateral. Also, the eight-week bill was 13 basis points below the RRP on June 22nd. SOFR. The SOFR rate dropped to minus to 11 points, uh, 11 basis points below RRP by June 14th. And it would stay there, minus 10, minus 11 basis points relative to RRP, all the way to June 23rd. Japanese government bond bills, the three-month bill. That had been negative around minus 10 basis points, which was low since March and April 2022. Suddenly that dropped to around minus 20. When? June 17th through 23rd. How about repo fails? Repo fails shot up to 474 billion combined to, to receive and to deliver when? The week of June 22nd, the week just after the seasonal low point. So we talk about these seasonal bottlenecks. I talk all the time about deflationary money, meaning the interruption in the free flow and circulation of money and credit through the euro dollar system of which collateral problems are a huge part. And as you've noticed, the list that I just gave you from last June, a good chunk of that was because of collateral issues. But when I talk about collateral issues and inflationary money, what do I specifically mean? What are we really talking about? What goes on in these collateral repo, collateralized securities for security swaps? What goes on in these marketplaces? And what, might, what do we need to know as we move up closer and closer to June of 2023. Well, that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna to talk about collateral in the repo markets, in particular, the shadow parts of the repo market, especially as now that the debt ceiling deal has been done, 
Demand for bills, especially front month bills, that's back on the table. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodoll University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you are interested going deeper down this monetary rabbit hole into the collateral stuff, not just collateral, but collateral in particular, which we're doing right now in our classroom series, we have memberships available for you at our website. There's also research subscriptions. I do a daily briefing in partnership with marketsinsiderpro.com. We go over the big news, big macro money news of the day, and a deep dive analysis where we obviously have to dive deep well behind what we talk about here on YouTube to get into the nitty gritty details, collateral, money, euro dollar curves, macro, the implications of all of those things. Information for you on all those memberships and research subscriptions at eurodollar.university. With the debt ceiling done, that's gone. Demand for treasury bills is back and back in a big way. Not only are we seeing, seeing the start of the deluge of supply as treasury begins to rebuild its, its uh, cash balance back up, demand for the bills has been there and then some. So anyone who was fretting about treasury bill issuance really shouldn't because unusually high demand has returned for the bills just as we said it would it was never about the debt ceiling, the huge demand for especially four and eight week bills prior to the end of May. So we got the four and eight week bill auctions today and Treasury sold a lot more of each of those. We got 60 billion in four week bills compared to 35 billion last week and 50 billion of eight week bills compared to 35 billion last week. Despite almost double the amount of bills sold in the, at the very front end four week, the high yield was just 509. The median was 495, which 10 basis points below RRP already. And that was down 10 basis points from last week, even though there was nearly double the, the auction size here. And the low, 470. 470, that's, that's 35 basis points below RRP, which suggests, along with some other key signals, including record levels of securities lending from the Federal Reserve just last week, and Japanese government bill rates, which they haven't sunk lower, but they haven't gone higher really all that much from the extreme levels of March and April. So collateral strain is still an ever-present part of our situation, which means fragility in the monetary system. Therefore, a higher chance of something else going wrong because it was never about rate hikes and underwater treasuries at regional banks. This is a global collateral problem, repo problem. And why is that? And why don't we know more about it? Well, let's begin with that point because according to official recognition, there are four basic segments of the repo market. I think it's a little more complicated than that, but for our general purposes here, these, these are good enough guidelines. When you're thinking about repo market, break it down into four different segments. I've talked about just recently GC repo, which is the smallest one, essentially generic trading, which is um, it's something that uh, it's, it's, it's centrally cleared and authorities call it tri-party, though I, you know, I guess it is technically tri-party, but it's done through FICC and it's centrally cleared. And that's really the biggest point of it. Then there's the real tri-party repo, which is conducted with Bank of New York Mellon, which used to be JP Morgan and Big Bank of New York Mellon, but JP Morgan got out of that part of the repo market years ago, which keep that in mind as we go forward here. 
um, because I think that's a big clue. We've talked about tri-party repo before. Then there's the bilateral parts of repo. The first being DVP, which is also conducted with uh, FICC. And DVP means delivery versus payment. It's bilateral repo. It's centrally cleared too, because FICC acts as the clearing agent for the counterparties, the cash borrower and the cash lender, swapping cash for collateral on FICC's platform, all centrally cleared. That's a good stuff too, according to authorities. Then we have what I still argue and maintain and the, the data we're gonna go over today suggests is the biggest part of repo, which I call bilateral by, by, <laughs> which I call bilateral bespoke because that's what it used to be called a long time ago. Now they have another name for it, but essentially it's non-centrally cleared. And it's, it's the part of the repo market that we really don't have much information on. But the Treasury Department's Office of Financial Research has used its authority and influence to get primary dealers to reveal more information about what they're doing outside of these centrally cleared platforms in the bilateral bespoke repo market. And today we're gonna to go over a report that was published last, uh, last month, May 12th. And I have to thank Todd for this because Todd always gets the best stuff for me looking out, uh, looking, scanning through all the academic literature and all the official reports and coming up with all these, these really awesome nuggets. And not just Todd, too. Got to thank Eurodollar University members who are out there scouring the interwebs, finding all of these useful little nuggets and saying, hey, did you see this? Did you see that? And oftentimes, no, I didn't see it. So a lot of the, the uh, academic stuff that we, we report on this channel comes from Eurodollar University members and those really uh, huge supporters here. And this one's called, again, Treasury Department's Office of Financial Research, or OFR. Why is so much repo not centrally cleared? Lessons from a pilot survey of non-centrally cleared repo data. As it starts here, despite the increased repo market transparency provided by transaction level data sets, such as OFR's centrally cleared repo data collections and the Federal Reserve's collection of non-centrally cleared tri-party repo, Regulators' understanding of non-centrally cleared bilateral repo, that's what they call bilateral bespoke, NCCBR, non-centrally cleared bilateral repo, has been limited. Yeah, limited is, that's why we use the black hole as our logo here, because in good part, the Eurodollar system is already opaque, difficult to peer into, and bilateral repo is likewise. It's been a black hole. Even the traders who conduct business in this market every day may have little direct visibility into the competitive landscape. This opacity persists despite the fact that the estimated size of primary dealer activity in the NCCBR segment exceeds two trillion outstanding. This makes the NCCBR segment the largest of the four segments of the repo market in terms of gross exposure by primary dealers. And again, it's not just primary dealers. We're looking at primary dealers as a sort of window into the wider bilateral opaque marketplace, hoping that they give us enough coverage to make some relatively decent, draw some relatively decent conclusions, make some relatively plausible determinations, but we don't know that for sure, and nor do authorities. So why do dealers and really the overall marketplace prefer this bilateral bespoke or NCCBR, non-centrally cleared bilateral repo market segment? It all comes down to 
Well, fungibility. It comes down to the fact that because this is a sort of blank spot, like much of the Eurodollar system is meant to be, dealers and their customers can do more things. Shocker, I know, right? But the report puts it in the, in the context, it wants to focus on hedge funds. It wants to focus on things like netted packages. Um, but it, it, in doing so, it does uncover some useful parameters. Among those, get this one. For Treasury repo and NCCBR, 74% of all volume is transacted at zero haircut. A material departure from non-centrally cleared tri-party repo where the median haircut on treasury collateral has held consistently at 2% for over a decade. Three quarters of the treasury collateral that is that's transacted in this part, in this huge segment of the repo market, zero haircut. Now, why is it, would, why would that be? Why would dealers accept a zero haircut on treasury uh, treasury, even treasuries. Usually, you know, treasuries do move on a daily basis. And as we've seen over the last several months, going back to last year too, they have had more daily swings that have been pretty substantial. So why would dealers accept zero haircuts in this segment of the repo market? Well, according to OFR, a big chunk of that is something called netted packages. Our findings, as well as our outreach to market participants, suggest that the pre prevalence of zero haircut treasury repo is in part due to the use of netted packages, in which a dealer would conduct both a repo and a reverse repo with the same counterparty in the same tenor, but over different pieces of treasury collateral. In effect, these netted packages facilitate trades of one treasury against another, a strategy popular with relative value hedge funds. While that's true, uh, we don't need to get into what netted packages really are and what relative value hedge funds are doing with the strategy of matching one treasury against another because I don't think that's really the issue here. That's simply what OFR has identified. And if you caught the language there, it's in part due to the use of netted, hedge, or netted packages. There's a big chunk that is not because of hedge funds and rel relative value hedge funds doing netted packages. There are other, see, part of the, the big part of the issue here is that authorities and academic economists like to look at the dealer system and, and assume that dealers are always running matched books. Therefore, that's the type of activity that they understand most. They can't, they don't seem to want to, don't want to figure that dealers actually take risks. And they take risks, especially when, they're, att they're attempting to accommodate their customers. That's what we're really talking about here. Among gross zero haircut trades, nearly half the volume is indeed netted, which is consistent with the reports by dealers that netted packages explain a large share of zero hair haircut trades, but less than half. However, a majority of volume with zero haircuts does not net on the, in the NCCBR pilot data. Some of these trades are dealers trading with other financial institutions of a similar credit risk, where given the relationship between haircuts and counterparty risk, zero haircuts may emerge because the two institutions have a similar risk of default, or they're just not running match books. One other possibility is that these trades are part of larger packages in which dealers maintain zero exposure or they don't maintain zero exposure to their counterparties, such as through other products like futures, swaps, or other derivatives, or through transactions in other sections of the consolidated dealer 
that we do not observe. Maybe dealers just aren't running match books, and instead, they are on a rather ad hoc basis attempting to accommodate clients with the high degree of fungibility that bilateral bespoke repo offers or non-centrally cleared bilateral repo offers and just getting margin and collateral where they can in other offsetting arrangements, including derivatives. Maybe it's just an, un, an impenetrable swamp of mess and transactions. I love how they say, Regardless the reasons for these zero haircuts on non-netted trades merit more examination, and it may be more important to obtain more data on margining practices with large dealers. So without getting too much further into it, let's, let's sum up what's going on here. What, what did OFR really uncover? Again, what they said was lots of zero haircut transactions, which is accommodating clients as best as possible, giving them the best possible leverage terms, and therefore trying to lay off the risk that dealers are indeed incorporating into their, their dealer activities, not running matchbooks, which includes potential problems in collateral. The flexibility on terms. OFR also found that mo a lot more term repo in bilateral bespoke or non-centrally cleared bilateral repo more than strictly overnight, much larger share of term repo here and much wider variety of longer term trades, not strictly overnight. Most of the overnight transactions are using treasury collateral, but there's an introduction of exotic collateral, as they call it, especially at term. Again, this is only a narrow slice of what U.S. primary dealers are reporting to treasury. And as a window into the wider repo market, as dealers are accommodating their customers in a number of ways, including zero haircuts and exotic collateral, though they say it's, a, it's only a small portion here, maybe there's a lot more zero haircuts and maybe there's a lot more exotic collateral in the parts that they don't want to tell the Treasury Department about, the Treasury Department's researchers about. It's more fungible than you expect. And because it is, there's a much wider chance, a much greater probability of collateral problems becoming an issue. And again, remember what we said at the beginning, that even dealers have little direct visibility into the competitive landscape. It's very difficult to tell what happens. And when something does happen, it can quickly cascade out of control as we see around our seasonal bottlenecks, end of year, kind of March in particular, September's a big one and every once in a while, we get a bad one in June. So a week before June 15th, Treasury bill yields are dropping at the front end. We know enough to be on the lookout because we don't know enough about what actually happens in these markets. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge thank you, Eurodollar University research subscribers, Markets Insider Pro research subscribers, Eurodollar University members, not just supporting the channel, but also sending me great information and scouring the internet. Thank you very much for everything that you do. And until next time, take care.